0: Stand together for the reading of God's word. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works. Of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but He sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Thus far, the word of God. Let us pray. Father, we rejoice to be assembled before you. Rejoice that you have appointed means of grace for us when we gather, hearing of your word, singing of your word prayers, the sacraments, Father, but especially the preaching of the word. We ask, O God, as you have appointed the word to be the means by which the gospel goes forth. We pray, Lord, that even this hard passage will be seen as a mercy for any who are in darkness. We pray, Lord, that you would hold forth Christ before our eyes. We ask you to bless that which you have appointed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I was preparing to preach this text, I was remembering a, a children's book that I suspect some of you are familiar with as well. It was, I think it's a Seuss book, and the story is, Are You My Mother? You know, it's a little bird uh, is in the nest up in a tree, and the mother's gone off to find food, and the bird being what birds do, he falls out of the nest, and he lands on the ground, and so then he begins to look around. He looks, he goes looking for his mother and he goes and encounters very animals. I recall he comes upon a dog and he asks the dog, are you my mother? And the dog's response is no. And I can remember when we read this with the kids, we say, well, does the dog look like the bird? You know, what's different about the dog and the bird? You know, we'd be looking for similarities and get them to be thinking along this way. Well, then the, the, dog, the bird goes on and finds a cow. And, you know, again, are you my mother? Well, certainly not. Well, at the end of the story... The little bird comes upon uh, a steam shovel and uh, jumps upon one of the prongs of the bucket, whereupon asking the question, are you mother? The machine fires up. Obviously, there's an operator in there, and it snorts, and it lifts the bucket up and moves and brings the bird back to the nest, opens the bucket, drops it in the nest just as the mother returns with a worm. And again, a question is, are you my mother? Well, of course, the answer is yes. There's the resemblance. There's the way the bird looks like its mother, and we talk about that with the children. You can talk about, you know, how we are similar as well. And and you can, if you're so inclined, you can say, well, you know, why are we made in the image of God? We could talk about those things as well. Anyway, as we consider the question, "Are you my mother?" It's uh, you can see what I thought about because the real question that's running through this text is, "Who's your father?" You know, there's claims that are made here by the Jews, as we'll call them, the Jews, the Pharisees, the leaders. Um, Who's their father? They're claiming, making claims of a father, and Jesus has made claims. We're in this larger context of Jesus claiming that which is the truth, that he has come from heaven. He's been sent forth from the father. Uh, He sees the father. He does as the father is doing. He speaks as the father is speaking. And, of course, there's this great controversy because these men are blinded spiritually and they just see a man who they know to be Jesus of Nazareth. Joseph's son, Mary's son, are not his brothers and sisters with us. But Jesus is suppressing the question upon them that they should know who is their father. Thus I've titled the sermon, Who is Your Father? Jesus, having made this announcement, continues to defend himself and rightfully so that he has come from the father that god is his father and he has been given examples in evidence that demonstrates that he is from the father and yet many of those that he's engaged with are are very confident that god is their father now as you heard the text, there's, there's a, a, a very directness to it. Uh, Jesus speaks very matter-of-factly to them. And yet as it unfolds, you can see Jesus is also compassionate. When God confronts us with the realities of who we are, that is a mercy. We saw that with the woman at the well. Uh, we saw that with the man uh, beside the pool of Bethsaida, that Jesus uh, confronts with the law, showing The need that we have of him. And remember that the most recent pronouncement that Jesus has made as far as the I am's is I am the light of the world. He is the light. He's the truth. He's the one he says who sets men free. Here John records the exchange that follows on after that which we considered last week. And it's very useful for all of us that read it, that hear it. Where do we find the truth? We can access this, the the measure or the standard that that Jesus sets out to answer the question for ourselves. Who is my father? And that is a vital question that we should know. Who is my father? That we should not just assume as these men, because they're Abraham's sons, that therefore God is their father. Jesus completely disavows them of that. I'm going to use three main headings. Very simple. Is Abraham your father? Is God your father? Or finally, is Satan your father? Or the devil, as Jesus refers to him. So we begin with, is Abraham your father? In this conflict between Jesus and the Jews that day, the Jews claim Abraham as their father. And therefore, they assume, because Abraham's God was the living God, that God in heaven is also their father. In verse 37 that we begin with, Jesus... For the sake of the argument, grants that I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Jesus' statement is really focused upon the physical realities. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons, these who are before him, they all will have descended from Abraham down through Jacob and his 12 sons. And Jesus grants that this is true according to the flesh. They are all part of 12 tribes of Israel. But there is something that's out of sorts. Um, you want to uh, do, they, they're wanting to do something that Abraham never wanted to do. Even as he says, you know, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. Now we've seen that surface uh, several times that uh, Officers have been sent to arrest Jesus. We had the record of how they were plotting. They were determined. They were resolved. They must destroy this man. He is upsetting their, their structure, their regime, their, their position, their power, and they want him done away with. And Jesus knows this, and he just directly says it, but you seek to kill me. In this time he says, why is this true? Because my word has no place in you. My word has new place in you. Father Abraham, who they claim, longed to see the day of Christ. We're told by the writer of the Hebrews that Abraham was looking to a city whose builder was God. Abraham had eyes that God had given him, that he he spiritually had come to understand that the promise of God uh, concerning his seed in a seed and a promised land was not ultimately fulfilled upon the earth, but ultimately would be fulfilled in the new heavens and in the new earth, even as this should be our hope. And God had promised through Abraham's seed that this would come to pass. Paul makes it very clear, I believe in, his, in Galatians, that he says seed singular, not just Abraham's son, his seeds, but particularly his seed. And of course, this is echoes of the promise that God made in Genesis 3.15, that there would be the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head even as the serpent bruised his heel. Abraham, Father Abraham, he heard the word of God. He was in the Ur of the Chaldees, and God calls him. He says, Abram, as his name was, then get up and go to a place that I will show you. And Abraham obeyed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And he went forward, going as God directed him to go. Now we've seen in these recent chapters that many of the Jews loved to see Jesus do signs and wonders, and we've been told several times that they believed in Jesus We've made the point, they believe, that he was a miracle worker, that he was able to do signs and wonders. There was among some the idea that he's a prophet sent from God. But the indictment that Jesus renders here is they rejected his word. I think it was last week that I pointed out after uh, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, then Jesus gives a long discord. He preaches. And they heard that, and they said, this is a hard saying. And many turned away from following him upon hearing his word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith does not come through signs and wonders and miracles. And here, Jesus is rather direct. My word has no place in you. And and in the context, he's making the point that, therefore, you're not truly Abraham's sons. He continues to expand upon this. So although they were physically descended from Abraham, they were not the spiritual sons of Abraham. The scripture teaches that even though you're not born of the Jews, you can be a Gentile, as many of us are. We're not descended physically from Abraham or the 12 sons of Jacob. But indeed, by faith, believing God's promise, we become the true sons of Abraham. This promise, blessing on Abraham's seed, of course, is Jesus Christ, who is engaged with them. He is the one who is even speaking to them, And Abraham could not possibly be their spiritual father because they had no claim on the blessings that God had promised. Now, Jesus alludes to the reality that they have another father. He says, I speak what I've seen from my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Now, he's going to do this twice before he tells them very directly who their father is. But once again, we see Jesus, the living word, God come in the flesh, preaching the word. He speaks, and as he's said many times, as we'll continue to see him, he says, I do what I see my father doing. I say what I hear my father saying. He's the word of the father. He is the word become flesh, and he is faithful as an ambassador, faithful as a messenger, faithful as the living word, to pronounce the word of God. And those who have a part in him delight in that word that he speaks. But these men, the indictment is laid out of them, you do, uh, you, um, my word has no place in you. And Jesus says to them, not only that, you do what you have seen your father do. They get the illusion. You know, he's implying that God's not their father and Abraham's not their spiritual father because Abraham obeyed the word of God and they do not and so again they react to what Jesus has said you see in verse 39 then they answered and said to him Abraham is our father you know they, they pre- pre- proclaim this they announce it they they're arguing that no Abraham is our father even though Jesus began with the acknowledgement that they are descendants from Abraham there's something missing there's something different about them they don't Believe God. God's word has no place in them. Jesus said says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. What is it that we see about Abraham? Remember when we were in Romans that it was laid out that Abraham believed God. He was obedient to God. James takes it up when he's talking about how faith without works is a dead faith. It's not a saving faith. And he gives the example of Abraham who 20 years after getting up and leaving, uh, more than 20 years actually, leaving Ur of the Chaldees, he has his son Isaac who is um, a youth. And God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, the son of promise that God has said, Through him I will give you many descendants. God says, take him up to the mountain and I will show you and sacrifice him. And Abraham goes. And I believe it's the writer of Hebrews tells us that he believed God's promise That this son was the son of promise and that God could raise him from the dead. And so he's prepared to strike his son when God stays him and God provides the lamb in the thicket. A beautiful picture of the substitutionary death of Christ. Jesus is the lamb. Abraham demonstrated, Abraham's faith was demonstrated by his obedience to God. He did what God said. And Jesus is saying to these men, if you were Abraham's children... Can we say, you would do like Abraham. You would do the works of Abraham. You would obey God. You would obey and do that which God has called for him to do. But it's even worse. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me. That's really what's in their heart. He said that twice in this text. Verse 37 and again in verse 40. He knows what their motives are. And he keeps coming back to that. If indeed you're sons of Abraham, if you're sons of God, as you claim that you are, why is it that you seek to kill me this time? What does he say? You seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Again, what does he say? Abraham did not do this. Jesus is being very direct, but you see, there's something of a, a, a trying to open up. He's you know, laying it out. He's giving them a clear picture of who they are and how, uh, in conflict they are with Abraham. How different they are from Abraham. How the way that they behave is not at all like Abraham, who they who they claim is their father. They are determined to kill him. Abraham did not do this. Abraham looked to this seed that God promised would come. And again, because he believed the word of God, it was accounted unto him as righteousness. These men want to kill Jesus. Verse 41 then, Jesus again alludes to the fact that they have another father. So as he's told, made the indictment, now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. They're claiming Abraham. They're claiming God. And Jesus keeps telling no, you have another father. You ha- you're doing what your father does. And, and they understand the point that he is making, that he's alluding they have another. Again, if Abraham is not their father, as Jesus claims, they conclude, well, then we must be legitimate children. And that's what they say in verse 41. Then they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father. God. They're not claiming Abraham. They've moved beyond. They're claiming God as their father, that they're the true children of God, even as all their action demonstrates otherwise. Now, it's interesting. They said, we're not born of fornication. That would be to say they're illegitimate children. Uh, This could be an allusion to Ishmael, Abraham's other son, who is the son of the bondwoman a woman who was the servant of Sarah that she took and gave to Abraham that she might get children by him. And of course it was a point of contention and Paul again picks up on that in Galatians and says, you know, that this is Mount Sinai. Hagar is the Mount Sinai and the works of the law, where Sarah is the promise of God. And Abraham received his son, Isaac, and they know these things. And so, they're arguing, but we're not born of fornication. It could be that the other illusion that they're thinking of is, Well, we're not like the nations around us who worship false God. It could be in that sense, commentators differ on it. It could be that both are true. I, I'm more inclined to think that both could be in their mind. Well we're not Ishmael's sons, but they're also saying we're not like the nations around us. We're not like the Gentiles. We don't worship idols. The reality was they did. "...for a long time, which is why then God raised up Babylon, destroyed the nation, sent them into captivity for 70 years. Now indeed, when they came back after that, they did not fashion and form and make images and idols thereafter. And yet, they had idols in their hearts, even as these men that Jesus is engaged with have idols in their hearts. And so there you see this spiritual blindness, even as they maintain that God is their father. Their objection is very strong to maintain that God is their father." Sometimes when we're witnessing to people, we press them. And they say, no, I'm, I'm a Christian. I know that I am. And yet there's no evidence within their life. Well, the application is pretty straightforward. If you reject Jesus and his word, you're not Abraham's child. You're not God's child, which is our next one. Is God your father? So Jesus made it clear. The answer to the question that these men would be asked, is Abraham your father? No, he's not. Only according to the flesh. And there's no value in the flesh. So secondly, we consider, as God your father? Jesus makes a case against the Jews with great strength in his words at this point. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God with your father, you would love me. Twice, he's rightly indicted them that they are determined to kill him. They're, they cannot deny it, and they do not deny it. Because that is exactly what is in their heart. Jesus said to them, you maintain that God is your father. If God were your father, you would love me. And they hate him. They want to destroy him. Because he, as the light of the world, has brought the light of truth. And it is focused on the realities of their hearts and their, their disobedience and their corruption and all the way they carry on. You think just back to the beginning of this chapter. The woman caught in adultery and in the conniving and the scheming that they went through in order to entrap Jesus in that case. They don't love Jesus, and they don't love God. But notice the connection Jesus makes. If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. If God was your father, you would embrace this, You would accept this. Now, we understand from the scriptures that we only can come to understand this by the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We're dead in our trespasses. We have a heart of stone. We're blind. We have ears that cannot hear, eyes that cannot see. We don't have a heart of stand, understanding. This is what God does for us. These men are in that place even as they boast that know. They, they are teachers of the law. They know all these things. You remember the engagement with Jesus and Nicodemus where he's talking really about these same things about for salvation. He says, are you a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? And so he makes this indictment. If what they were claiming, that God was their father, were true, they would have come to understand and believe that Jesus came from God. Now consider this. If they're truly children of God, then they would know that, God, that Jesus was sent into the world by the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the fulfillment of the prophecies. This is the promise that God has made. These men are blind to those realities. Remember, these are the teachers of the law. These are the custodians of the word. These are the ones who are busy with it. So if what they're claiming was true, they would love Jesus. If what they were claiming were true, they would come to understand that Jesus was sent from the Father. But they don't. So if we drop the conditional ifs and restate them otherwise, the question is, is God your Father? Jesus' word teaches that the children of God love Jesus Christ, whom God the Father has sent into the world. The children of God have come to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, sent from the Father by the will of the Father to do the will of the Father as the sin bearing, suffering servant to save his people from their sins. And if they were, if you, they or you are truly a child of God, you would believe in Jesus. And by believing, you would have life in his name. And you would not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation, of course, is by faith in Christ alone. I was speaking with someone this week that we live in a day where people talk about, you just need to believe, you need to have faith. But my friends, even as we sit here saved, we say by faith, by grace, through faith. Don't miss my point. Faith does not save us. Christ saves us. It's faith in Christ as he has offered to us in the gospel that we receive and accept him and depend upon him as God presents him to us. And here that's the reality. These men do one want to accept that he's the son of God. We believe what God has said about him is true. If we look back up, um, we have learned through this text the salvation is in christ alone that's the message of the scriptures throughout but then jesus also as he's saying here that those who have this salvation obey notice that he has talked about what abraham did what abraham did not do even as they are not doing certain things there's there's obedience follows from faith the save the saying is often to put salvation is by faith alone but it's a faith that is never alone i not sure who that originated with, but it's a very good statement. Saving faith is always accompanied by good works. That's James' point. You know, as he was encountering the church, the Church of Hebrews, it's an early book, that there were those who assumed that they were saved. And he says, no, if there are not good works, then the faith that you boast to have is a dead faith. It's not a saving faith. My dear friends, there are clear words of Jesus. His doctrine is simple. Even a child can understand it. Do you love Jesus? Do you believe, Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Son of God? Then the promise of God is that you have life in his name. It's, it's, it's simple. It's straightforward. But as Jesus makes the point, then those who have this life in him will obey him. They will walk in obedience before him. Jesus has said elsewhere, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. When we sin, as those who are saved by faith... When we have failed to obey, we flee to Christ. That's why uh, week by week we come to hear the law. We confess our sins knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But that's an obedience. We come confessing and depending and looking to Christ again and again. So we have seen, you know, is Abraham your father? For these men, the answer is clearly no. The question is, is God your father? Again, for these, is clearly no. Why? Because they don't love Christ but there's another father that's in this text, and Jesus has been moving toward that. He's a There's another father that they have. This other father is their father. And thirdly, the question is, is Satan your father? The Jews have strongly claimed God as their father. We saw that in verse 41. We are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus mercifully does not allow them to believe this lie. He presses them. They need to know the truth that Satan's their father, and he's going to tell them plainly. Thus far, Jesus' words have fallen on deaf ears and stony hearts. They've refused to see just how unworthy they are of calling God their father, and that their claims that Abraham is their father is just to, to miss the point of who Abraham's true children are. The Jews, nor any other person, can claim God as their father as long as they reject God's son, Jesus Christ. To have God as your father, you must come to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And these men will not. The father so loved that he sent his only begotten son. It's essential that we believe that, that we understand. it. If you reject the son, then you've rejected the father. Furthermore, verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? See, here again, it's about words. Words make the difference. Jesus is the Word. He is the living Word. It's through the preaching of the Word that the truth goes forth. And Jesus answers that question that he asks himself. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my Word. We refer to this as the doctrine of human inability. It's the result of our total depravity, that we're dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin, that apart from the working of God, we can't understand the Word of God. It's just so many words. We do not understand. The word does not come into us. It has no place in us. And Jesus makes that very clear. You know, there's a rebuke in that, but that's also there's a mercy that he's telling them the truth. Because you are not able to listen to my word. These scholars of the Old Testament scriptures should remember that the promise of God in the new covenant was he would take out a heart of a stone, which renders someone dead, and he would give them a heart of flesh. And when he says, You're not able to understand, or "Not, not not able to listen to my word, They should have understood that they have a heart problem and that they're in the wrong relationship with God. Furthermore, these Jews have the book of Moses. Moses prophesied of the coming of the Christ. They have the Psalms, the wisdom literature. They have the writings, the history books. They have all these things. And what is it that we understand? All of the Old Testament testifies to Christ. The two walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walks with them, and he opens up the Old Testament canon and he begins to explain to them how all these things had to do with him. These men are scholars of these things. If anybody should have recognized the Christ when he came, it should have been them. They had some understanding because when Herod wanted to know where this Christ child was getting born, this king of the Jews, they said from prophet Micah that it's Bethlehem. So they knew something of the scriptures, but it was of no effect upon their hearts. And that's the nature of things. Children of the devil cannot see or hear Christ when the word is read or preached. That's humbling for us all. Have you heard Christ? Do you see Christ? Do you have an understanding when you read the scriptures about Christ? God has worked in you. God, the spirit, marvelously, mercifully works in you. And so it is each time that we take up the word, you know, our private reading, family reading, we should pray, Oh, Spirit, give us understanding. Illumine your word. We pray before the preaching of the word that the Holy Spirit would give his illuminating word. Paul writes, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So if you're dead spiritually, you can't understand it. Many of those who posed Jesus should have known, as I've said, but what they have done... They took the Old Testament law and they made it a code of legalism, a heavy burden. That they laid upon the people. They failed to see the beauty and the promises of the coming one. Even as we're in the book of Isaiah, there's heavy things in Isaiah, are there not? There's heavy and weighty things. We've heard them this morning. But there's been these, it's been punctuated, with the truth, promise to the king that the virgin will be with child. There will be one coming who is the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the everlasting father. There's these pronouncements. And soon we'll be into chapter after chapter that begins to talk about the suffering servant who would come to save his people. The one who would be smitten and afflicted of God. Whose visage would be so marred that he would be unrecognizable. Even as he he did not suffer these things for himself but for the sins of his people. And it's clear that he died. And he died without any descendants. Isaiah 53 says, and yet we find out later that he lives and has a host of descendants. Clearly, there's a resurrection implied in that. These men should have known these things, but they're not able to listen to the word. And so Jesus now comes to it in verse 44 very directly You are of your father, the devil. You ever witness to someone and tell them that? It's not usually the way we start, is it? Jesus confronts him You are of the fa- your father the devil. And you do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he's a liar. And the father of it. These men... Demonstrate clearly that God is not their father. Abraham is not their father. The devil is. The very fact that they want to kill him proves that. These men lie to themselves, amongst themselves. They lie to the people that they're supposed to be instructing. So Jesus says this proves that they are children of the devil. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.2, They walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Jesus, in the telling of the parable of the tares, he says about the tares, that is the unconverted, the tares are the sons of the wicked one, children of the devil. It's a startling truth. And how is it that it's evidence? Because they desire to do what their father desires to do. He's a murderer. They're murderers. There's no truth in him. He speaks lies. He speaks from his own resources. He's the father of lies was thinking about that in this text. Do you lie? We've all lied. We will yet lie. But the sober reality is when we lie, we're in partnership with the devil. There's no lie in God. Lying has nothing to do with God. God is contrary to lying. He is all about the truth. And when we lie, we're cooperating with the enemy. We're undermining the advancement of the truth. It destroys relationships. It harms ourselves and harms others. And it's what Satan's all about. He's the father of lies. Children, that's sober. I was once a child, but I don't even have to remember being a child. I'm tempted to lie, even as you are. We lie because we want to escape. But when we lie, we're collaborating, we're cooperating with the enemy. For lies originate with him. But Jesus also calls the devil a murderer from the beginning. I'm thankful we were in Genesis, not too distant ago. Do you remember how Adam and Eve, image bearers of God, they're in the Garden of Eden, everything is pristine, pure, there is no sin. Adam and Eve enjoy sweet and blessed, unhindered communion and fellowship with the living God. And along comes Satan. He's already fallen. And he cannot stand this. He knows what sin is. He knows what it is to be cast out from the presence of God. He's not content that he and a third of the host of the angelic beings are also cast out from the presence of God. And so he comes, he creeps slithering in to that beautiful, blessed place of sweet communion and fellowship and he engages in lies. The woman was deceived. Adam believed the lie. And he took and he ate. and what was the promise? When he ate the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, God said, "You shall surely die." And when Satan came with his lies and persuaded Adam to rebel and disobey, disobey, all humanity died. Yes, Satan is a murderer. He murdered the host of humanity. And thus we're all born dead in our trespasses and sin. Born physically alive but dead. Apart from God, without fellowship with God. Sinners only able to sin. That's all we can do. This is what Satan does. That's what lies does. That's what he's about. He's industrious. He he multiplies. He feeds on and he wants to spread lies. And when we engage in lying children or adults alike, we're cooperating with the enemy. That's terrifying to think about. I'm terrified. That's who he is. Why have him as your father? Well, because of Adam's disobedience, that's where you start. But blessed be God, even you children, here you are in Christian families in a church where God's word is proclaimed and it is truth this is the truth of God that upsets and overturns Satan's lies it is the truth of God that is the light that dispels the darkness and drives it away and it exposes Satan for who he is and, and it reveals Jesus Christ for who he is and so Jesus engages with these men he says the devil Satan, he's your father. There's no truth in him. He is nothing but a pit of darkness and lies. Remember how it was there in the fourth chapter of Genesis? Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. Righteous Abel. His deeds were righteous, and there was a light in them that shone light upon Cain's unrighteous deeds. It exposed the wickedness that was in him, so he killed him. And so it is that Jesus says, this is what the world has been doing. The sons of the devil, from Cain, all the, I mean from Abel all the way to Zechariah, the servants of the devil have been killing the prophets who come with the truth, which is the light and the truth of God that brings the way of salvation to men. Jesus continues on. He's laid it out. Satan's your father, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. They're trapped. They're dead in their trespasses. They are ensnared. They are held captive in the kingdom of darkness to do the will of Satan. And then Jesus says, He's told them the truth. He gives them opportunity. I think he pauses. He says, "Which of you convicts me of sin?" I think he pauses there. He gives them an opportunity. He just, it's not a rhetorical question where he just moves on. He gives them an opportunity. What indictment indictment of sin can you lay before me? Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, then why do you not believe me? I don't know if the, uh, the tone and the tenor within those men was the same as when Jesus was there with a woman caught in adultery. He writes on the ground, whatever it is that he writes on the ground, then he, he rises up and he says, all right, whoever's without sin, pick up a stone and throw it. It's another moment like that. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Well, Jesus already has answered the question. He says, because you're not able. This is what sin does. It renders us able to hear the word of God. Well, We hear the lies of Satan just fine. You will follow him. Even those people who say, nope, don't believe there's God. I don't believe there's Satan. It's just me. Satan is delighted for sinful people to go along believing I'm God. I do my will. I have my own way. He's delighted when we live that way because we're ultimately serving him. He doesn't really care if you acknowledge that he's your father and that you're serving him. Just so long as you're disobeying God and rebelling against him. Jesus then says, he who is of God hears God's words. We're going to come in a few chapters to, I am the good shepherd. And my sheep know my voice. My friends, rejoice if that's true for you because it's not because of any works that you've done. It's the work of God. For him to say, he who is of God hears God's word, it's because God has worked. He says, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. He has made his case. He has presented his evidence. Here is the the verdict of the judge. He he, He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. God is not your father. There is no other conclusion that can be drawn but that... God is not your father. And if Abraham is your father, it's only according to the flesh. You're not spiritual sons of Abraham. You're children of the devil. If you're a child of God, Jesus' words are precious to you. You delight in them. You meditate upon them. They're sweeter than honey of the honeycomb. They're more valuable than gold. They prove to be light for your path. And an instruction that you would not sin against God. I'm going to apply this. It must be clearly understood. If God is not your father through the Lord Jesus Christ, then the devil is. That's Jesus' doctrine. There are no other options. Children, I've said to you in this assembly many times, you either are in Christ or you're outside of Christ. You're either in the kingdom of light and life or you're in the kingdom of darkness. There are no other options, period. And Jesus has just made that point again here. Be certain, Satan will lie to you; he will want you to believe you can straddle the fence he 's happy for people to be religious, to go through the motions, thinking they 're good. but God sent his own Son into the world to save sinners, that whosoever believes on him will have everlasting life, will not perish. Satan does not want men to know that Jesus is the light of the world, as we just heard him say back in verse twelve. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let us conclude with this. Jesus is the Son of God, and he came into the world to bring sinners to the Father, to bring sinners to God the Father. Perhaps spiritually, like the little bird that we heard about in the beginning, you're wandering around asking a question, not, are you my mother, but, who is my father? That's an important question. I will say to you, that is a vital question that each one of us know with a certainty. Who is your father? Not your earthly father, not your physical father. Don't be caught up in Abraham, but who is your father? Who is your spiritual father? Who are you serving? Who do belong to you? And what family are you? And are you in the family of God or are you in the family of the devil? Where is your permanent home, in heaven or in hell? That's a critical question. If you're looking for a family that will last forever, then that would be the family of God. And you gain entrance into that family through the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Father sent into the world to save sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And I love what's next. That whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't it remarkable How gentle is Jesus with his opponent's here? These Pharisees, they want to kill him. They're looking for that moment to seize him. They want him dead. We're going to finish this chapter, and they're going to pick up stones. When this discourse figure finishes, I'm not making this up. John records, they picked up stones. But Jesus, in some marvelous way, eludes them, disappears. They can't find him. They don't kill him yet because he's not going to be stoned. He's going to be crucified. But what's remarkable is how patient Jesus is. And indeed, the long-suffering of God, the mercy of God, even now as Jesus has not returned as an opportunity for sinners to repent. God is not willing that any should perish. He's long-suffering, giving men an opportunity to come. Even in this crowd, as we said last week, there's a mixed multitude here. Is Nicodemus in amongst the number? The woman who was caught in adultery, has, has she been following around wanting to know more about this one who has so graciously dealt with her? The twelve are there. One of those is a devil, Judas. But Jesus engaged with these men, blunt, direct, which is helpful. There are others hearing. And Jesus is merciful to engage in these things. Because you see, signs and wonders that prove who Jesus is, that he's sent from God, do not save men. It's the word of God in Christ that saves. And now he announces the salvation is in him and him alone. The way is in Christ. It's by Jesus Christ who came into the world to save sinners by the working of the Holy Spirit within the sinner that we are brought to Christ. Jesus is unique. He's the only begotten Son of God. He is the only one who is not a mere man. He is the God-man. And that makes him completely unique and able to save. He's holy God And yet he took on him the sins of his people. Perfectly obedient to the Father. No unrighteousness within him. No rebellion. In it he died to save sinners. The Lord and giver of life died to save those who were dead in their trespasses. If you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as a savior of sinners, then the devil is your father. Jesus invites you to come he generously extends his hand he says come and he says whosoever will come will be saved whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved Paul says that twice in Romans in a close succession my dear friends there is a marvelous transaction that took place in Jesus on the cross he suffered in your place and he offers salvation that you can stand in his place, that you can be gathered to the Father in heaven. And it is because the Father sends the Holy Spirit through the Son into the heart of a sinner that we can learn to cry out, Abba, Father, the spirit of adoption. I was with uh, one of my young men that I'm discipling this week, and I was, we were talking about this, and I was just reflecting and as, as I do, and I would encourage you to take some of these great themes and meditate upon them. And I'm just astounded when I think about what I am. What my heart was when the spirit came into it. You now I have to draw on earthly things. Maybe you've never had the unfortunate necessity of pull the lid off your septic tank to get it pumped out. That is a nasty place. I've been standing by when cesspools and septic tanks have been pumped out, and it is disgusting. Our hearts are infinitely more foul. I've been in some big cities where there's decadence and immorality and darkness all around. My heart, your heart, apart from Christ, is more foul than that. We talked about the depth of that cave that I went into and the darkness that was there. Apart from Christ, our hearts are darker than that. And God the Holy Spirit comes from the Father through the Son into our hearts to give us a new heart, to do the work of regeneration, to convict us, to give us faith, to work in our will that we would take that faith that he has given as a gift, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Oh, glorious salvation. That God would offer the children of the devil salvation, that through Christ they become children of the living God of heaven forevermore. And that the spirit who does that work comes in to clean us up, make us righteous in Christ. Well, first declare us righteous in Christ. Don't want to get into heresy there. But he who does that is the spirit of adoption. He stays with us forever. Teaching our hearts to say, Abba, Father, If you have such a work of God, you're in the family of God. You're members of the church of the firstborn. Look no further for your father. God is your father through the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus is your elder brother. And they are working together, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are working together in you and me to bring us home to glory. Amen. Father, we bless you and praise you. Father, we thank you for a passage that shows us clearly who the children of Abraham are, but more importantly, who the children of you are, and even clearly who the children of the devil are. Father, we bless you and praise you that you have not left us in the kingdom of darkness, that you have not left us in the chains and the shackles of sin and bondage to serve the dark Lord, even Satan, who lies and lies and can only lie, but that you have rescued us with and by and through the one who is truth and light and life and the only way unto you. We bless you, O God, for your salvation in your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.